So again, I'll just offer some thoughts, some themes that you may, may encourage you, help you in your practice. I like to talk about thought, thinking. Thinking gets pretty bad reputation in meditation circles. <laughs> it's that annoying, nagging buzzing in your head, <laughs> going round and round like a mad fly. And yet it's there we have. We have this faculty, the thought faculty. <laughs> and, you know, there's lots of things you can study and read in Buddha's teachings. He certainly was able to use thinking to uh, be able to bring topics to mind, to articulate, to explain, all that involves thinking, yeah? So like any other faculty, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, touch, body, thinking, it's not, the problem is not the faculty itself, but the way that it is used. There's no problem with the senses, but it's their misuse, the running out, the way they're captured by uh, forces that are beyond our control, Passion, aversion, pain, depression, anxiety. That's the problem. And nothing is more captured than thought. Nothing is more susceptible than thought. Nothing is more susceptible to sorrow, pain, grief, anxiety, depression, worry, hatred, irritation, despair, and so forth, than the mind. Nothing can create so much harm as your own mind. You know, people would kill themselves because of their minds. They can't stand it anymore, the depression or the fear or the anxiety. People killing themselves because of their bodies, not so, not very usual, not very common. Mostly the mind. People killing each other because of the body, nope, not really, because of the mind. And of course, nothing can be so much of one's benefit and blessing and support as the well-trained mind. And thinking is part of that. It's only part of the mind, so just remember remember this. It's a particular faculty called the faculty of manas, the rational mind that can create concepts. When we contemplate more fully the Buddhist term, well, what try, they try to cover this one English word mind, you have two very different faculties. One is citta, which is more to do with emotion, uh, memory, perception, images. And you have mano, which is to do with concepts. Mano is the faculty that defines an object, says that's that. That's a car, that's a pig, that's a person, that's my uncle. Says that. And chitta is the sense of how I am, how I feel, how things move me. Subjective. It's a kind of feeling, movement experience. And naturally these two tend to operate together. We feel moved, we feel encouraged, we feel gladdened. And we think, oh, great, that's really good. I like that person. You know, we think it. Oh, we might start with a thought like, he did me so much harm five years ago. He did this pain. He did this terrible thing to me five years ago. And that goes into our heart and our heart stirs up. So the two are really very, um, operate together. Jitta gives you the feeling, the mood, 
and Manol gives you the thought. And it can go either way. You know, one may generate, one may trigger the other one. Something we think of may get us annoyed or excited. Or our sense of uh, worry or fear can create all kinds of disturbing thoughts. You know, like, I know I've got nothing to worry about, but I feel anxious. And yet I can't, there's nothing really to worry about, but I just feel anxious all the time. You know, no matter what I say, I still feel anxious. <laughs> because, uh, you know, the jitter has to be entered and calmed and steadied. And you can't do that purely with thought. But you can do it, you can use thought to assist that process. So, one of the skills that uh, a cultivator, a meditator, or someone who cultivates the mind, learns is called skillful recollection. And this is very standard experience, very standard practice. It turns the mind, you pick up a particular line of thought, that is conducive, triggers, if you keep at it, it triggers a particular mood or perception, or impression, or realization, just triggers it. So what doesn't uh, help is saying, stop thinking. That's not a supportive thought. That's not a recollection, that's a command. Stop thinking, well, it won't work, will it? Don't worry, that won't work either. But if we recollect right now, no one's bothering me, I recollect people who've been cared for me, looked after me, helped me. I recollect people who I'm, I feel fond of or admire or respect. I recollect the nature of life. There's a sense in which my mind finds a degree of stability and comfort and it settles. And perhaps the agitation of anxiety disappears, dissolves. This is an example. And so this is a particular skill. We, we pick up a, th- a theme, and this is just something you can do it from time to time. You don't have to do it now, but you, something to bear in mind is one of your skills. And there are certain chosen topics that uh, the Buddha recommended. One is recollection of the triple gem, which we do in our chanting, recollecting the Buddha, Dhamma Sangha. So when you recollect, you don't just think the words alone, but you might think slowly, Buddha absolutely pure, ocean-like compassion. Any phrase you see in his chanting suddenly stands out for you. I like the one in light, you know, awakens the wise like the sun awakening the lotus, you know, the Buddha. Some beautiful, something warm that encourages an opening. Uh, ocean-like compassion. Teacher of those who, w- who wish to be trained. Gives me a sense of uh, encouragement. Bestows blessings on me. Oh. Now, you know, get the mood of that. It's not, a, it's not a literal, rational thought. Like, I can't see any Buddhas around bestowing blessings on people. What's he talking about? You know, it's a poetic thing to evoke certain meaning and what it maybe means in some sense it means a number of things but at the very level of chitta it means 
relax, open up, trust, safe. There's a gift here for you. And what does that do? Oh, you know, I'm less nervous, I'm less edgy, I'm less demanding. So you see, you, you kind of take a thought, a skillful thought, and you detect the underlying meaning of that. It's not just words, the underlying meaning. Often it means slowly and repeatedly, till something in your heart kind of lights up or opens up or connects. So it's using thought to connect to the heart in a skillful way. Dhamma, not delayed in, uh, immediate, direct, not delayed in time. Pertinent, furthering, relevant, opanayakal, pachatang. Directly know it for yourself. This is really, um, and Vedidapo, we knew he was knowable by that, by the wise, by that which is wise. So don't imagine, oh, that means wise people, like other people are wise and I'm not. But that which is wise, the wisdom faculty in all of us, right? So what does this do? You get a sense of, to me, it gets encouragement. It's not an incredible esoteric philosophy that you can learn at an academy and you've got to get a PhD in and only brilliant people can experience it. It's very here. You know, these are, so it's an encouragement. You can recognize this with your wisdom faculty. It's not far away. I mean, there's a lot of this and we could spend hours going through much of these things. But perhaps there are certain Themes like we've been using the theme, the recollection, may I abide in well-being. Now this is not just a wish. I wish I could feel well, but I don't. I wish I could feel sukito, it means at ease, comfortable. But it's like a sense when you say it slowly, what's it, what's it feel like if you hear a voice saying, May you be at ease. May you be at ease. You don't have to be good. You don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to be concentrated. You don't even have to be mindful. Just here, this is for you. And you know how much of the effort we put into trying to achieve experience of happiness or other people's affection or being admired or being praised or feeling okay. We study this, we go here, we meet so-and-so, we wear these clothes, we do this, that and the other, to feel this sense of feeling comfortable and at ease. Right? And we go through to, to considerable efforts and, and measures to experience this. And this is like, well, just cut to the chase, you know, get to the point. What do you want? You want to feel at ease. Well, here's how you do it. <laughs> You know, this is the shortcut. <laughs> because what most everyone <laughs> feels at ease with is, is warm-heartedness. And often we use things like gifts and smiles and handshakes and parties or whatever, you know, to, to bring that across. Now, do it very, very minimal. Minimalist. Get straight to it. What is it like to just say... You're okay. There's no pressure here. 
you're welcome. What does it feel like to abide in that? So we bring it up, we generate it, and there's a sense of empathy, kindness, compassion. So you're not saying, may I be perfect, may I be punctual, may I be effective, may I be useful, may I not be a nuisance to other people. Yeah, just may I be well. This is the atmosphere of our meditation practice. You know, when you come down to why do you meditate, why do you, why do you do Buddhism? You know, you might have something like, oh, realize Nibbana, get liberated. Basically, you want to feel good, right? You want to feel less stress, less empty karma. You want to feel good. So, you know, just get to the point. <laughs> so don't do things that are just... The encouragement is to put aside worries, doubts, fears, and so forth, and just realize that the chitta often needs quite a lot of calming, quite a lot of that quality. You have to speak to it quite a lot. It's like a, it could be like a desperate animal. You know, you have a bird stuck in a room, and you want to let the bird out of the window, and the bird sees you coming, it just panics and runs around. You say, bird, here, go. You want to catch it to get it out the window, but the bird keeps flying around. It takes a lot to actually say, just stand still and you know, put some food down and courage. That bird, then it will settle. Or a person or a child who's upset takes a lot of time to calm, doesn't it? So very directly applying that, this is the atmosphere that we meditate within. Whatever you do, you have what are called the three skillful roots of all mental behavior. There's only three. The Buddha mentions, he mentions thoughts that are affected by ill will or thoughts that are affected by goodwill. Thoughts that are affected by dismissiveness, cruelty, harshness, and thoughts that go the other way, that are affected by compassion and tenderness. Thoughts that are affected by sensuality, passion, and those that incline another way. And so we, we just keep cultivating that. And you know, most people have this kind of inner complaining about themselves going on, about what they are and aren't. And this, uh, you know, it's a, it's a high, fast-moving thoughts. And fast-moving thoughts are generally like frightened birds. For thoughts moving fast and quickly and compulsively and running around in circles, this is not a thought to trust. <laughs> it's the thought of a frightened animal or a crazy creature. And the mind does that. So you say, just slow it down. Think deliberately, connect it to your heart. May other beings be well. Whether I like them or don't like them, it doesn't matter. Whether I approve of them or whether they deserve it, it doesn't matter. Because it doesn't do me any good to have ill will. So I'd sooner have good will and compassion and so forth to anybody. They don't have to win something. 
Otherwise, you're always looking around at the critical mind. Well, what do you think of him? Yeah, not much, this, that, this, that. He's not as good as she is. She's not as good as he is. He doesn't deserve very much. Yeah. This is like, what are we doing? Using an, like meditating like an accountant. Who deserves anything? <laughs> Why don't you just give it away? <laughs> Isn't that easy? Just, you know, goodwill. Doesn't mean you have to give more your money, but you, you kind of just have a quality of compassion and kindness and, and because it feels better. You don't want to be walking around with a mind that's always sour or with mistrust. Now, whether other people are reliable or not, whether stupid, foolish, crazy or not, yeah, that's all true. But you don't need to be saying it to yourself. You don't need to be judging. You just keep your heart warm. And also, you, you, you know, you're clear about your behavior. There's a difference between what, your, what heart state you live in and how you act. Just because you have goodwill to someone doesn't mean you have to let them into your house and give them your TV set. So I have goodwill to you, towards you. <laughs> but with all the compassion in my, my heart, please go somewhere else. <laughs> There's nothing here for you. <laughs> but uh, this is not appropriate, or you can say this is just not appropriate behavior. And you try to encourage people with a mind of goodwill and compassion, because a lot of people are confused. And we also experience this quality, mudita, gladness, which is, some of that's gratitude. We see, recollect the good in others, rather than the faults. And you can always find some good in somebody. And so you think, well, I'd sooner dwell on that than dwell on all the things that are wrong with them. Ajahn Sumedho told me one time he used to think, well, maybe Pol Pot, you know, who was this politician in Cambodia whose actions seemed to result in slaughter of half the population or something of Cambodia, um, not someone you want to go on a holiday with. And he said, well, perhaps even Pol Pot had a one good thought in his life. He probably did one generous good thing in his life. So let's think about that. <laughs> Just in terms of your chitta. It doesn't mean you're going to say to Pol Pot, here, please take control of the country. <laughs> you know, there's a difference between action and what you carry in your heart. And you, so, so you, you're using recollection as creating your own heart space, not as a definition of, of the world. And so we... A lot of people, you know, you think of your parents, probably there's some lot of good and some things weren't so comfortable or easy or difficult or whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah, but they did feed me. Give me a house to live in. You know, I was a little naked baby. You know, they did look after me. Maybe they're a bit grumpy at times or But you think of that, you know, when you're a defenseless little baby, you know. And you wouldn't survive a day, much more than a day, without somebody looking after you. Absolutely. And people did that. So we sense that sense of mudita. Uh, gladness other people's good deeds, 
and gladness at our own good deeds. This is very important. If you do anything else, um, you don't do anything else, learn a little practice, perhaps in the evening, to recollect, say, ten good things you did today. And at first you might have difficulty with that. I didn't do anything that good, did I? But then you think, well, I didn't kill anybody. That's good. <laughs> didn't steal anything. That's good. Yeah. So you think of the damage that one human being can do, and you didn't do it. Well, that's something good. But then you might recollect, well, at least I tried to meditate. You know, that's, yeah, not everybody does that. At least I tried to have some restraint. That's a good intention. I managed to share my room with other people without, you know, complaining or getting defensive or territorial. That's good. Not everybody can do that. I managed to get up early in the morning. Not everybody can do that. I managed to, you know, hold my body up and uh, at least incline towards good intentions and goodwill. Some people don't bother. So, you know, we can recollect, oh, I did sweep the floor. I did clean up. Yeah, I suppose that was good. These are small things. (laughs) You know, so often we think of the good being something that's so profound, like, you know, I I cured people of cancer or I invented an amazing airplane or something. But we look at small qualities of just the times when the good intention rose up times when the good intention rose up or when a bad intention was pushed away you know, I felt really impatient at the food I wanted to hurry up and get my food I restrained myself and said you know, invited other people to go forward I could have complained about this and felt annoyed but I thought why bother, I let it go so you know, you, you recollect this Recollect the good that has happened to you. Recollect the good that you've done. Until the, the jitta begins to experience this sense of it rises, it rises up. It feels comfortable. It feels less nervous. It begins to settle. And then the instruction is once the jitta is established like that, you can then withdraw from the thought and just abide in that quality. And that may only last five minutes. And then you pick it up again and do it again. There's an example in the suttas of this uh, bhikkhu who was going to go to, um, I think, the west side of India in the time of the Buddha. And uh, the Buddha said, well, are you ready for this? He said, I think I'm ready. He said, well, you know, those people over there, they're pretty rough. They're pretty, you know, they're not all that, they're not all that peaceful. They're rough people. He said, what do you do if they, if they, they shout at you and abuse you? He said, well, I'll think, how wonderful. How wonderful they're not attacking me with sticks and stones. That's good. What about if they do attack you with sticks and stones? He said, I'll think, oh, how wonderful. How grateful I am they're not killing me with, stabbing me with knives. He said, what if they do stab you with a knife? He said, well, I'll think, how wonderful. They're only stabbing me with a knife, knife and not actually killing me. And he said, well, what if they do kill you? You'll think, I'll think, how wonderful. You know, 
people have taken responsibility to take my life, I don't have to keep going in this life. <laughs> he said, I think you're ready. <laughs> and the parable of the saw, you know, when the, the Buddha says, well, if people take you, bandits capture you at the crossroads and tie you down and start cutting your legs off and your arms off with a two-handled saw. He says, if you experience any degree of ill will, you're not a true disciple of the Buddha. You think, my goodness, that sounds... How can you do that? Well, you know, from an ordinary person's point of view, it seems ridiculous. Of course, you're going to feel annoyed at people chopping your legs off. But from a dumber point of view, the understanding is, look, if you're having your legs cut off, that's pretty bad and painful, right? So why make it worse by encouraging yourself to feel ill will? Because then you've not only got the physical pain, you've got the mental pain of ill will. If you have physical pain of of that, having your legs cut off, we all experience physical pain. We're all going to die. We might break a leg, we might have a toothache. That's natural. What you can do is stop your heart feeling uncomfortable, unpleasant emotions. So this is what you should do. Now I don't think he's saying you're congratulating the robbers for cutting your legs off or you're saying oh please chop an arm off as well but you you feel that <laughs> sense of anger and you think well nothing I can do here just may I be well keeping your chitta free from just poisons now this is a parable and I'm not asking you to do that on the retreat. Nobody's going to cut your legs off to check out your degree of metta. But just bear in mind, what is being encouraged here through this parable is to recognize you will feel pain. Maybe, hopefully not too much on this retreat, but in your life you will feel some considerable pain, very likely at some time. Your body will break up. This is unavoidable. Happens to good people, happens to everybody. But what you can do is cultivate your heart so it doesn't take on that pain. So this is a very important recollection. You take the thought, you take it and you turn it over and over and you bring it back to your, into your heart and you contemplate the feeling, the mood, the atmosphere until the Chitta becomes steadied in that, and then you can reduce the thought. This is skillful use of thought. We also, standard recollection, recollect, uh, I have the nature to age, sick and die. All that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. Take it slowly. Not comfortable. True? Is it true? Yeah. Hmm. Take it again, slowly. Is it true? Yeah. I lose my house, I lose my body, could very well lose my wife, husband, one of us is going to die first, might lose my rationality, senile, might lose the control of my body, in a wheelchair, invalid, yeah. Hmm, is this true? Yeah, true. 
So what are we left with? Now the average untrained person just feels totally bereft. They wouldn't even think such things. They say, oh, don't worry about that. Don't think about it. But uh, we are committed to truth. So we do think about it. But we don't think about it to make ourselves anxious. We think about ourselves to sober us up. To make us steady. This is what we have to meet. And the Buddha wouldn't have recommended this if we didn't have the capacity to meet it and to be strengthened by it. As you take that steadily, you begin to recognize a certain quality of there is chitta, there is this sense of awareness, steadiness that is not affected by emotions. Doesn't mean emotions are wrong, they're natural, but we have to have a place where we can handle them. If I get involved with every emotion that happens, it just spins around. Can I step back, withdraw, withdraw? Not to avoid, but to not be in that, to stand next to it. And that which can stand or sit or abide in the presence of an emotion, understanding, contemplating the the movement of emotion, that is chitta. Chitta is calm, steady, clear. Because the fear or the worry or the despair are actually creations of our the chitta. This is what the chitta creates. And it doesn't have to create them. The average untrained mind has no doesn't know that, has no way of not this spilling out. Doesn't have any way of stopping that. So you train, train, train to it's like this now. It's like this now. And we begin to notice things like things not being the way I like them to be. And particularly when you have a large group of people, you can be pretty sure that sooner or later things happen or a day goes by and not everything is exactly the way that each individual would like it. Because it's supposed to cover 60 people or something like that. So naturally it's like having a, um, a suit of clothes. It's going to be a bit too big for some people, a bit too small for other people because it's just... A, suit of clothes yeah. so just notice that sense of why well, too early too late too much not enough don't like this don't like that and notice that stay steady in the presence of that which is not the way you want it to be a very important training whereas the you know our general uh, you know mind will be to try to make it the way we like it to be and of course that doesn't last and the way each individual would like it to be is not necessarily the way that everybody likes it to be so then you get well i want it this way no i don't well can we sit well what about this no no maybe i like it then you know uh, this of course is the major training i, I find in uh, monastic life when you live in a community of 25, 30 people, 
and you're often part of something that covers thousands of people and spans different cultures. So you've got a very, very big suit, you know, that's going to try to accommodate not just one community, but several communities and perhaps a whole range of people in different cultures in different countries. Yeah, and maybe, you know, some people like it this way, some people like it that way. And it's, you know, you think, well, what do we have to do this for? Why do we have to follow these customs or traditions? Why do we have to always sit together? I want to be more on my own. I can practice better on my own. Why do we have to do so much chanting? I like it quiet. Why can't we eat afternoon? It seems silly. Just, just now and then have a little something. Even if I got everything I wanted, I wouldn't be comfortable. Because there'd be something else to want. So we learn the easiest thing to do, rather than to want what isn't here, want things to be other than what's happening, is to learn to be patient with what is happening. It's not, when I say it's easy, it's straightforward, because all you want to do is step back and relax. Wanting something to be not happening that is happening, there's pressure, tension, conflict. Want something to happen that isn't happening, there's pushing, pressure. Being with the way it is, you can relax that pressure and you become equanimous, dispassionate. You withdraw. I found generally, you know, monastic life on the level of feeling is probably mostly painful or disagreeable, just on the level of ordinary feeling. There's always something that's kind of bit not the way I like it, sooner or later. People, what's he doing here? He's supposed to be a monk, I don't think much of him. You know, he's always fidgeting. She talks too much. They're always so busy. He never says anything. He never offers to do anything. He's lazy. This monk never volunteers. He never helps out. And they get to live with these people. And Ajahn Chai said he got like that in the monastery. Oh, I'm going off on my own. I'm fed up with all these people. When he was a younger monk, he said. So he went off on his own. He thought, after a while, he thought, it would be nice if there's a novice here to help out, look after me. It would be good if there's another monk to be with. Where do you find a good person? Where do you find a good person? There's only one good person you need to find. <laughs> it's right here. <laughs> Is a good person patient or impatient? They're patient. <laughs> Is a good person someone who criticizes and complains or doesn't? They don't complain, they don't criticize. Is a good person someone who's tolerant and easy to get along with? Or someone who's intolerant, not easy to get along with? Be a good person, then you find there are lots of good people around. <laughs> It's just people you feel compassion for, or patience with, or you feel appreciative with, or you just, well, that's the way it is, you know. So it's a very important recollection to recognize things don't have to be mine and the way I want them in order to achieve peace. Much easier to step back and let go of the irritation or the desire. Because these are just the minor examples. And sooner or later we come to a point in our life when it's really not the way I want it to be. 
I'm in pain, I'm sick, I'm dying, you know. And if you're still saying, I don't want this, I don't want this, <laughs> it shouldn't be like this on your deathbed. I shouldn't be dying. <laughs> Do you think the Lord of Death is going to listen? Whether <laughs> you like it or not. So you say, okay, I'm grateful. I had 50 years or 60 years or 20 years or 10 years, you know. Thank you. You know, I met some good people. Great. I'm ready to go, you know. So this is what recollection of death helps us. It helps us to be big-hearted and dispassionate and recollect the beauty, the good things in our life, the values, the heart. And then this is the heart that goes forward and goes upwards and liberates. So you spend some time thinking it through, you know. And there may be points when that becomes very relevant, you know, like, you don't like this person, you don't like this person, you don't like this person, she's like this. Wait a minute, what's happening here? What can I deal with? Can I change her? Hmm, it could take a lot of work. Could I change me? could take a bit of work, but this would be probably more beneficial. Because <laughs> you're right, you're living with this one all the time. Yeah. This is how a cultivator sees their experience. You recollect. You recollect. Till the jitter gets the message, then it begins to open. So you're not just thoughts. These are thoughts that touch these points in our jitta where we tighten up or close or rush out. And they, they help it to remember, not be so ignorant. Remember, 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 recollect. That's why it's called recollecting. In a way we collect, we recollect what is broken up and scattered. It's scattered out into a world of me and them, and past and future, and this and that, and what they should and what they shouldn't, and how I don't like, and what I could be, and why I never am, it's broken. And we come back to, this is called restless agitation. Okay? Take that, and may this be well, calm it. You're able then to, to use thought purposefully when your mind is spinning out into all kinds of topics and themes that you know are not any good, not useful, just agitation. Then you use another tool of thought which is called Yonisomanisikara, deep attention. You can attend directly to the thought process itself when you get these running out lines of thought they're just running around in circles uh, you, you, what you do is you, you step back from the topics of the thought again this, this word viveka you step back from the topic of the thought and from fighting with it or approving of it you emotionally withdraw from that we don't emotionally get into that, we emotionally withdraw from that. We know this is a th- this is the thinking mind, and you you look at that and you say, is there one word 
that covers what that thought is doing, what that thought is about. And it could be worry, for example, very common. What should I do about this? How can that happen? What if that happens? I wonder if my nephew's okay. Worry. Okay, worry. Or it could be ill will towards yourself or towards other people. Um, Sadness, despair, passion, craving. So you just get the one word that covers that and you recollect that. How does that feel? Probably feels unpleasant. That which is unpleasant, we don't take it in, but we abide with that. And where this is where you can use the body, breathing body. You acknowledge the mental feeling, the mental state. And as you're doing that, you hold the mental state in your mind, you know, even naming it. This is a worry. feels like this. It feels nervy, restless, agitated. And as you do that, you... How is the breathing now? So you don't drop the thought, the, the emotion. You stay with that, and you pick up the question, how is my breathing? Can my breathing be calm? Can my body be upright? Can my face relax? Can I breathe fully, comfortably? And the breathing has this particular quality of, it very much associates with mind states. So the calm breathing will calm the mind. Mind states and breathing connect to each other. This is an important piece that you can write down. Mind state means emotion, heart state. Mind state and breathing connect to each other. Very often the mind state captures the breathing. So when we get panic, panicky, our breathing changes. You know, it gets fast. When you get sleepy, your breathing changes. Now, mind state often captures your breathing. And what you want to do is turn it the other way so the breathing captures the mind state. And you breathe out. Now, it's not possible to experience ill will, distress, strong emotions while you're breathing out. Breathing out is very relaxing. You never see anybody getting angry in a relaxed, comfortable way. You never see anybody worrying in a relaxed way. Oh, I think I'll do some worrying. Yeah, interesting. They always get agitated. You never see anybody getting passionate or craving in a relaxed way. It's always, oh, I really want those. It's really interesting. Look at that. How good. I like to have that. It's excited, isn't it? So you just go to that quality, the sign of ease. May I be well breathing out. And at first you'll find that the two, the mind state and the breath kind of quarrel or don't agree. You know, your mind state is trying to keep going. Oh, worry, breathing in and out, what's that got to do with anything? You know, this is really important. <laughs> I really got to think this out. 
breathing in and out, waste of time. But breathing in and out. Breathing out. Letting the in-breath come in. Filling the body. It's it's slow, it's steady, It's it's the rising, the natural rising like dawn. And that, without fighting with the emotion or disapproving of it, or forming an opinion about yourself with it, it just gently dissolves. There's no need for that now. There's no need for that now. You're okay. Stay here. And when you pick that up, you again, the jitta finds resolution in that. It picks up that sign. Picks up that sign, it finds resolution in it. So in this way, we should even feel slightly grateful for things that annoy us and disappoint us and frustrate us because you realize, look, you can go into that state and feel miserable or, and it won't change anything. Or, you could step back and breathe in and out. Okay? I remember talking to a monk who was at one of these uh, Ajahn, Kuba Ajahn monastery, and he said, this monastery... Oh, it was maddening. There was always dogs barking. Dogs barking because the dogs like, there's generally food lying around, waste food. The dogs coming, yap, yap, yap. They're fighting and barking. Oh, that wasn't bad enough. They've got a construction project on. People drilling and hammering. And you never knew when it was going to be because they'd run out of funds, it would stop, and suddenly the funds would come in. Everybody's crashing and bashing and drilling. Maddening. Then every now and then you get a tour bus turns up. All the lay supporters come out, and they're all making noise, clattering dishes, and making and chatting to each other. He says, it was so crazy, it was great, because all I could do was stop my mind. If I didn't do that, I'd go mad. I had to just basically step back and let go of it all. It's really good for me. Because you can see all this, I didn't become a monk, this isn't Nibbana, I'm not going to get any samadhi this way, and people are not very mindful, and what's the Ajahn doing, allowing all these things happening in his monastery, and after all, this is about the Buddha said, be secluded, and live in a forest, quiet place, in his village, and there's all this stuff going on, and I'm going to go somewhere else, and I'm like, dare they do this to me, after all I've done, you could do that. <laughs> you see, I'm quite, I know how to do it. Because <laughs> I've done it. I know the story. <laughs> oh, you could do that. And at the end of the day, you just feel tired and miserable. Or you could go, wait a minute, look. This stuff out there is going to go and your body's going to die. Right? And life will go on being the way it is. So what's your opportunity now? Yeah, the sword is at your throat. Right? It's got you in a corner. What are you going to do now? I think I'll go quiet. I think I'll just withdraw, step back, breathe in and out. Nobody's going to stop me doing that. Yeah. Nobody's going to stop me saying, may I be well. Nobody's going to take away my well-being as long as I guard my chitta from these influences and effects. You have a peace 
and a refuge and nobody can take away. Even death can't take it away. That's worth meeting some difficulties for with. So recollect, consider, give due consideration, turn it over slowly. Do you think when the Buddha was enlightened, he was enlightened in an air-conditioned, comfortable villa? He was sitting under a tree in the middle of a jungle in India. What was that like? I don't think it was that comfortable. What do you think he was eating? There's scraps of rice. How do you think the early Sangha lived? Just drifting from one hotel to the next? <laughs> With people looking after them, I think they thought they just had to starve. This is not considered an obstacle to enlightenment. The obstacle to enlightenment is the jitter running out. path to enlightenment is the jitter collecting itself. And you can use wise consideration to keep reminding it. This is your chance. This is your refuge. In fact, there is no other refuge than this. But it is a, a fearless, steady refuge. So we recollect, we consider, we think it through. Using these prescribed topics, there are quite a few of them. Possibility for enlightenment. The Buddha is awakened in this world with this kind of body, living in these kind of circumstances, you know, bites of insects, other people, so forth. Yeah, we recollect that. We recollect metta to ourselves and to others and all those um, qualities of heart. We recollect death. And we recollect karma, which is those that which runs out from my chitta is going to have effects. I can go into some very difficult places if that runs out. And I can create problems for other people as well. And all that I'm going to have to deal with. Or I could just collect it, calm it. Good karma, clearing. This is our opportunity. So let's have some time for direct practice. And if you want to you know, get up, stretch your legs. And when you feel comfortable, you want to do a little bit of walking or something. But when you feel ready for it, let's come come in and we'll sit together until four.